Welcome to The Unfiltered Mom. I'm Elizabeth Lewis, and alongside some of my dearest friends, we've created the show so women have a space to have unfiltered, extremely raw, and insanely real conversations. Nothing is off limits here. This space is for moms who want to talk about everything, to dive into conversations we all deeply desire to have, but fear what others may think of us. This is your invitation to pull up a seat in a judgment-free zone and have a little heart-to-heart. Now, let's get unfiltered. This is a Soul Fire production. I think it's safe to say many of us have a love-hate relationship with money. And this episode was packed with some major truth puns surrounding money. (laughs) Kanisha shares how money is an emotional thing for her and how she feels she is making up for her own childhood with her own children. Charmaine shares about growing up with a feast or famine mentality. Brooke stresses the need to realize when we are healing childhood wounds through buying things for our children and how to move forward while doing so. While I grew up in a home with a father that said, you can't take it with you. And if you didn't open that bill, well, it simply didn't exist. So if you're ready for one hell of a spicy episode, pull up a seat and let's get unfiltered. Welcome to The Unfiltered Mom. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lewis. And this week, we are talking about money and the emotions that surround money, a little bit of our money story, something we grew up with, or you know, just various aspects of money because we just don't talk about it enough. Uh, but before we do that, I want to share a, another podcast review with you. And this week, it's from Samantha NP. And she says, it's the good, the bad, and the dirty. They talk about motherhood, womanhood beyond what we see on social media, that it's not perfect. It's messy, dirty, a lot of the times unfair. I've related to multiple stories and resonated with multiple episodes. I need to go back and listen to earlier episodes to see what I've been missing the last few years. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Samantha, for leaving us that review. Thanks, Samantha. We appreciate you. So, okay, let's jump into money. I will really quick, we're going to give you a little backstory. So I grew up in a middle-class home. My dad worked for GM. My mom was a nurse, but she went to, she was going to school when I was younger. And my mom, I don't think either of my parents actually knew how to manage their money. I honestly don't. And my dad's approach to money was you can't take it with you. (laughs) So I have adopted that. And also I've worked really hard on scarcity mindset. So when it comes to money, I think my mom had a lot of scarcity. Um, My dad was just like, well, you know, I'm just going to work overtime, work extra hours, do all of this stuff and just carry on with life. And I'm just going to spend whatever the hell I feel like spending. And the crazy, isn't that crazy? And the the thing that I remember about my childhood, and sometimes I fall into this trap, is I think my parents felt like if they didn't open the mail, it didn't exist. If they didn't open the bills and they didn't know that they were there, then they had absolutely no idea where they owed money and could just literally go on with their business and spend it freely. And it's something my parents never sat down with me and were like, well, this is how you save money. This is, you know, you have to pay these things first. You don't do this. And my mom's big thing was, well, you don't pay for anything unless you have the cash. So I didn't have credit for many years because I thought it was bad. 
And of course, as a business owner, you have to have revolving credit. So I always thought that credit was bad, realizing that my mom never actually had a conversation with me that the reason that credit was bad for her is because she got into a lot of debt with credit, but never having that conversation. So as a child, even going into my younger years, I never felt like there was enough. Like I didn't have enough money. My parents didn't have enough money. I wanted to make more money. And in my mind, the more money you had, the better you lived or the more you could do, or, you know, there was a lot of emotions surrounding money. And so I'm curious for you guys, what that story was for you, because I think any woman that's listening to this can relate to one of our stories in some capacity, whether it was something from your childhood, whether you grew up poor, you know, I remember we had to move because my parents got into such financial debt and we moved from a really nice house to a house that was not so nice. And I resented my parents because that comes with a whole lot of other layers, right? You're embarrassed to have people over because why did you move from this really nice house to this not so nice house in the middle of nowhere? And you don't really actually understand at that point as a child that your parents are so financially fucked that (laughs) They don't know how to manage their money and you're screwed and you can't do anything because you're a kid, you know? So I think there's so many components. So, you know, Charmaine, do you want to share with us, you know, what was your money story? So we had feast or famine money story when, so my dad worked for the plants as well. And so whenever there was a bonus or something like that, we were going on trips. He was buying like all types of stuff. Like it was like strip club, let it rain. But then like, the bills that were there were not being taken care of because he was spending. And so then we would have the famine periods. And like during the feast periods, we were like, you know, the jokes that people make about people, they get their tax returns. Like they go get lobster tails and crab legs. Like that was us. It was like lobster tails, crab, like let's have this, let's go out to eat. Let's have all these things. And then when all of that went away, then it was back to, you know, beans, cornbread, you know, It was back to spaghetti Wednesdays, you know, it was back to these things. And so it creates this real, you know, kind of jiggly piece, however you want to see it in your head of, okay, money can't stay with me. It comes and then it leaves. And, you know, we never have enough of it. And so then it creates this thing of where whenever I get money, I'm going to blow this shit because I don't know when it's coming again but oh my God, I need it now. Like it creates this really weird relationship with money that, you know, causes you to do some really crazy shit, like get a hundred K in student loans and use it to go on cruises. And (laughs) Uh, hello, that was uh, not cruises, (laughs) but nobody taught me about when you take out student loans or extra money. No one was like, pay that shit back. Yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. all that, all that stuff you're doing, honey. You actually got to pay that back. Yeah, Ooh, the government. That's not free money. I got that loan forgiveness though, so I don't know. I did get the loan forgiveness. All my loans got forgiven this year, and I, I cried. I cried. Oh my god, I cried because I, like, I spent that shit on. I'll get to my story soon. Keep going, Charmaine. <laughs> but yes, I get it. I get that. That was part of my money story. That's like, that was the genesis of it. And my parents never talked about money out loud to us. It was always this hushed tones. My mom did talk to me a bit about savings because she worked at a bank, but it wasn't from the space of, okay, you should have like at least three months. Well, now I think it should be more like six to 12, but then, you know, like you should have at least three months put away. Like you need to write a, 
thing of like all your bills and like stuff like that to know what you need to pay, what you're earning. Like there weren't those conversations. I saw them doing it, but nobody ever sat with me to do that. And so to me, money in the beginning was always kind of like this ethereal little fairy that if I caught her, it was great. When I get her, spend her because you never know when she's coming back. And don't worry about accounting for it. Just don't answer the fucking phone and keep spending. Like make it look like you're doing good. Like as long as you look great and you're living a nice house and have a nice car, you're doing good, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the problem, right? It's all a facade. And this is yeah. this is what I think we have to also teach our children, right? They see people out there and their idea of rich or financially stable or all of those things is, oh, you have a really nice car. You have a huge house. You can buy Lululemon and Zara and all of these things like, oh, you can do all of this. That's the, that's the American dream, right? That means you've arrived. You're rich. If you have all these things to show in reality, most of those people or a handful of them are living off of debt, living off of credit, living out. Yeah. Out of their means, but nobody's talking about it. It, nobody's talking about it. And so you saying that Charmaine is, is so true, right? That piece to it, we're just not talking about it and identifying it or being honest with ourselves or others that that's a story. And just, I, I appreciate you sharing the feast or famine, right? When you had money, things were great and you were just, you were a yeah. lobster, all that stuff. And when you didn't, it was like ramen noodles, off-brand cornflakes or frosted fl- <laughs> frost, anyone? remember that or cream of wheat my mom was like cream of wheat or what was it um beanies and weenies yeah (laughs) like the cocoa wheat (laughs) yes (laughs) struggle meal yeah so anyways uh kanisha do you want to share yours this is emotional for me and y'all are about to learn some stuff because this feast or famine thing like still happens right now like and it shouldn't be But the way I grew up, for one, abuse and neglected household, I've talked about that already before, but another message that I received, and I talk about this in my work sometimes, is I received that you sort of take advantage of the government. So living off food stamps or cash that comes in for the government or um, sort of taking advantage of that growing up. But it was interesting because like... We'd still go to school like hungry because no one would fill out the forms for us to get free lunch, even though we qualified or no one would give us lunch money. So I would steal change and then get punished for like getting some change to go eat. Like and there was no money management. We, we were poor. And when we got it, it was gone because just like you said, we're going to buy all this junk or whatever. And, and then we have no money, right? Like, and, and because of that, certain people in my family filed bankruptcy multiple times because of that, like would take out credit cards and, and go on vacations and then never pay them off or things like that. And I was instilled some of that, or I don't know if you can get genetically passed down some of those thoughts, but you know, nature versus nurture, right? So when Matt and I got married, um, I've been working since I I was 14 and I feel like I have nothing to show for it, right? Like when Matt and I got married and we moved to California, like we were living pretty good. Like we both made pretty good money for cost of living out there. We were able to afford our bills, but we had no savings. We would just blow it all on 
alcohol and going out and partying with our friends and then like money from student loans from going to school take that go out go to the beach and go on vacation and do this and do this and it was to the point that we were both laid off three years later and we had to move back home because we didn't have anything right so then we got pregnant (laughs) and we still didn't have much like and with Matt like his parents definitely taught him more Like, we don't keep our money separate. We keep it together. But, like, everything is in his name because his credit score is immaculate and mine still is fucking awful right now. Like, so if you're out there and you have a really bad credit score, you're not alone. (laughs) Like, mine sucks ass. Like, it's just, like, how I grew up and what was instilled to me. And I'm trying to, like, change that mindset. Like, we make pretty good money. And I'm like, where is it? Like, I know childcare and and, and bills and things like that, but even what we have saved, we should have more in in comparison on on how we're just paying things, but we'll buy this or we'll do this or, and I think it's more me sometimes where I'm like, oh, I'll just like buy this now or whatever, right? Because I have the money to be able to do it because I never got that. And then how much crap I buy my kids because my crappy childhood, I feel that I have to them literally everything like oh you broke your ipad let me go buy you a new one you don't need a new damn ipad (laughs) you don't need a new brand new ipad but i feel like i didn't get a lot of that so i overcompensate for my kids so i'm in a spot right now where it's hard and it's frustrating but i think i'm starting to see the light and pay off some of my debt (laughs) you know the student loan thing being forgiven was a huge lifesaver because I just kept forbearing them because I'm like, how am I going to pay these? I don't know how I'm going to pay these. And I know that there's other people that are in that spot too. So for me, it's really emotional. It's really hard to talk about. And like Elizabeth said, that some of us just pretend it doesn't exist. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Like, I don't love to talk about it. I just, not my favorite thing. If other folks start to talk about investing or things like that, I just completely check out and shut down because I don't know how to handle it. And I think your story, Kanisha, is a lot more people than we even remotely realize. I think it is so common that women experience this and they're so ashamed and they're so embarrassed and they don't want to talk about it. But talking about it helps other people see that they're not alone in that. And how can we fix that? How can we change that? How can we educate ourselves on that dynamic. And it's not something to be ashamed of. You couldn't control that, right? You couldn't control your parents' decisions when it came to money. All you can do now is change the trajectory of that. And also it's a lot of unlearning. I think a whole lot more unlearning than we're ready for. And so I don't know. I just thank you so much for sharing that piece because we all come from such different backgrounds. They're, they're so different. We're so different. Every person has a different money story. And I, I think this would be a great place to put, um, if you have not listened to Viola Davis, her book, Finding Me, listen to it on Audible, hear her voice, hear her read it. I swear to you, if you do not cry, if it does not impact you in some way, she talks about poverty. And one thing that I love that she says, and I've said it before on here is having resources and being educated is a privilege. 
is literally a privilege. And I think, and I've heard it from people before, well, they made that choice. No, that that's not always, people don't always have the resources or the education to make that choice. They base it off of what they see, how they grew up, how people were that were role models to them or meant to be role models. And also we have to cut our parents some slack. And I think something that she does in there that's so beautiful is the things that she experienced, whether it's money or poverty or things like that, the forgiveness piece in that and knowing that her parents did the best they could with what they had. And don't get me wrong, there are times I resented the hell out of my parents. I'm like, why did you get us in this kind of trouble? Like, why did you, why didn't you take better care of your finances? Even when my parents died, even when the mess that you are left with, with people who are financially irresponsible is a fucking disaster. And it was, it was unfair. And so, yeah. I was going to add to like, We've talked a couple of times about this, and I've had this thought before about parents doing the best with what they have. And that's just hard for me because I don't think my parents did that. (laughs) They they didn't. They didn't do the best with what they had. And I know there's some other folks out there that probably have some parents maybe in that similar situation where the relationship, um, I've been estranged for 11 years, and it wasn't the best with what they had. They just didn't fucking give a shit. But that's me. That's my story. <laughs> okay. So I have a question. I, I think, and I want to ask this, Kanisha, and maybe this is a little off topic. So when, when you say that, and only speaking from my own personal, only speaking from my own personal experience, do you feel like they didn't, was that what they knew? Was that the only thing they knew? What were, you know, what were their parents like? What, what were the people they were surrounded with? I think it, I don't it was know. generational for sure. Okay. Yeah. It, it was yeah. generational. Yeah, it was it was generational. And I'm to the point where I broke that, like my sister and I. Okay. That that's what I was just curious. Mm-hmm. Thank you for thanks mm-hmm. for sharing that. Yeah. Oh, I know it's hard. Okay, Brooke, give us give it to us. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to quantify everything. Um, I had an interesting dynamic, you know. For a while, like I had a single mom, but you know, we lived with family. And so we kind of had that communal aspect of all the needs were met, you know, and we had, you know, family helping. And then when my mom got remarried, very fortunate, you know, nice house, like food was always on the table. We didn't struggle. What was interesting was I. How do I like say this? None of my extracurricular activities were paid for by my stepdad. So my mom had to pretty much be a stay-at-home mom, but also have her own income to cover like her expenses and then mine, right? So I was involved with cheerleading and ballet and ballet is not cheap. And my mom would stress about those things. And I actually started working say 12 during the summer at like a snack bar at the pool and help like pay for some of those extra expenses. And I would watch my mom really struggle and have a lot of anxiety for getting anything for herself. So it was this message of like, I don't deserve things, you know, or I don't deserve the things that I want. And for me, it was, you know, you've got to make your own, your own way. Like if you want to do something fun or like you're, 
my stepdad was not going to pay for it at the time. So it's a different dynamic where basic needs were definitely taken care of. Very fortunate with that aspect. Um, but still like a weird relationship with money, you know, and even my mom now has a hard time buying things for herself, or if she makes a big purchase, she gets a lot of anxiety. And I do too. Like I, I've, I've noticed that, you know, I wanted this table for our house. And like my husband had to literally press the purchase button because the funds were there, things were saved for. And yet I was like, I don't, like, I don't deserve this. Like I don't deserve this table that I want. And that mentality around spending or things, I again was really fortunate that my schooling was, was paid for by family members. They had orchestrated their lives to be able to do that for their grandchildren. And I'm forever grateful. My husband, you know, his parents worked really hard and his college was paid for. And that's something that we're striving to do for our kids, because I think it's a totally different dynamic when you come out as an adult without any debt. I think that that changes the game exponentially. And I realize how fortunate and privileged I am to have had that opportunity and to kind of have that jump start into adulthood of not carrying this financial burden, kind of starting at ground zero. But then when I became an adult, I didn't want anyone taking care of me, right? I viewed money too, I think based on my relationship with my stepdad as control. So I didn't want anyone paying for any of my stuff because that felt like then they could have a say in what I did with it or my life. And so that was a huge hardship, you know, getting married and figuring that dynamic out of, okay, how do we share money, share our finances? And I don't feel like it's being held over me or that I'm being controlled if my spouse were to make more money than I did, you know, and we've had different seasons where sometimes I'm the breadwinner and sometimes he's with the breadwinner and then I was, and then he, you know what I mean? So we've kind of gone back and forth with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and now I, I struggle with finding practical and helpful ways to budget and kind of how to plan for the future. Like I, I, I feel really lost in that aspect. Like I need guidance for someone to help me do well now, but also not live like we've got to save and suffer. You know what I mean? I think my husband and I really are trying to adopt this mentality of, yes, we need to save and that's important. And also if there are things that we could purchase that will make our life easier with three children and help our quality of life right now, and we can afford it and it's not going to put us backwards. Why not? You know, he's in the auto salvage yard. So for a while <laughs> we had cars that we pieced back together never had a car payment. And we had a third child and I was like, Hey friend, um, we can afford a car payment. Like it, maybe it's not ideal, but we don't really have any other debt besides our mortgage. I would really like this particular vehicle. It would make me feel safer driving with the kids. And it would also be, you know, just, there's just features that would make driving around three small children easier. And we jumped on it and then paid it off as quickly as possible. So that was kind of one of those instances of we don't have to feel bad to get ourselves something nice too. I maybe none of that made sense, but that's my story. It made sense. I wish I was more like you. And I, I'm gonna start adapting some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um often we don't do 
because of the, the paradigms and the belief systems and stuff that we've been ingrained with, like I know what to do. I've read the book, like on a, from an intellectual space, I know what to do, but that ingrained, like it takes so much work. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for that though. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for changing the paradigm or the belief system that we were born with in regards to money. And then there's this other piece of, I mean, people see it now, but even again, like the women piece, this whole money piece and being able for the working class person to have a house and to be able to save and to have these things, all of that is relatively new still, right? And when you factor on, you know, whether you're black or what have you, if you came from a space where everybody around you ain't had shit and everybody was living, you know, from hand to mouth and looking for the next thing, then this is a new concept for you. Like you're like, okay, I want to live like this. Okay. So what does that look like? You know, who can I find? Who can I learn from? Who can I get under? But there's still this emotional piece with money. Like again, from an intellectual level, I can create a spending plan for you. It is beautiful. If you follow it, you'll have the best time ever. But money is emotional. Like if I'm having a bad day, I don't want you to go, oh, go look at your 401k and your savings account. You're doing great. It's like, bitch, Amazon, check this out. It's some shit on there that you don't need, but it will make you instantly feel better. Order that now. It's that instant gratification. It's that instant Mm -hmm. gratification. Mm hmm. I think that's sort of where I'm stuck right now, too. Like, I love that instant gratification. I don't have a shopping problem, but coming from a space where it was almost like very borderline hoardery, like you always had to have stuff. Like, I have 12 notebooks or journals around here. Oh, that whole little shelf back there is like journals that I don't write in all of those. I only need one, but I like them and they're pretty. Yeah. But I get that instant gratification from buying a new one. Yeah. It's, I mean, we all have like our, our mm-hmm. comfort items, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's cardigans for me. I'm the true therapist. So love, I love a nice sweater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what mine would be if yours is cardigans and I do love good. Did you get the new cardigan from, um, or like the soft ones from target, these like sleep ones? Oh, no. Yeah. I'll have to send you the link link in here, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm a journal buyer too. I'm, I'm with you, Kanisha. Like I buy so many and I'm like, what am I doing? Why is it? But it, but it is that I, can buy it. So I'm going to buy it. And then I'm like, why did I buy it? It was so silly that I spent my money on that. And that's kind of how I feel about food and going out to eat. Why spend you know, money on going out to eat, especially with my kids when it's not always enjoyable, when it's just going in and out and it's so expensive to eat out, you know? So, and it's a stupid story. It's a, it's a story that I've created that it's not enjoyable. So I'm not going to do it, you know? And that's just, that's again, your, your mind set on that particular thing. Like I, I like to cook, you know, and I like to eat in and my husband will always want to order 
out or go out because when he was growing up, you know, going out was like a treat, you know, like that's how you rewarded yourself. So gosh, man, you're having a good day. We celebrate by getting takeout, having a bad day better get some takeout, you know, like that's just his, his mentality. And I mean, I, language. I, I don't really fight it too often. If I'm being honest. <laughs> I do love no. some good takeout. <laughs> DoorDash is a nemesis because it's way too easy for them to deliver anything to my porch. DoorDash, Instacart. <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, even though some of it is us, like a big part of it is us. Let's not forget how marketing is made too, right? That a lot of the times it's marketed to play to those weaknesses. So I think you have to know what your challenges are. You have to know what your kryptonite is. And it's just like you, it's, you have to find another way. Like if what you say you want to do is like for me, if, okay, so I say I want to build this or I want to go on a vacation I've been doing, um, has anybody watched Ramit's uh, I Will Teach You To Be Rich Netflix documentary? So I've watched it because it's super interesting and keeps my attention of I want to do all the things, but then I'm like, meh. But yeah, that's a great one. We should link it. So I had the book first. I had the book and it's like, oh yeah. So it has you looking at not just creating a budget, a spending plan, but what do you really want? Like, what are you trying to create like out of life? What are some of your like non-negotiables? And so then when I realized that, okay, what's really important to me is travel. What's really important to me is being able to do fun stuff with my family. Well, no wonder why I'm so flipping miserable because what I'm spending my money on are not the things that I say give me life and are important to me. I'm buying random shit off of Amazon. So, you know, it's, it's that whole thing of being able to connect your life, you know, connect what you want to do and how you say you want to live to the purchases you make. Yes. That spark joy. Yes. The documentary was really good. And the book is actually, the book is called, I would teach you to be rich and it comes with a journal, but it helped me to look at money in a different way than like, if you're looking at, cause you know, Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman will tell you don't drink no more lattes. Don't don't have nothing. And this book is the complete opposite of that. So I really like that. I like having Starbucks. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like this whole mentality of delaying enjoyment now, right? For this future. Yeah. You're not really guaranteed a future. So go have the freaking latte. Like what the heck? Yeah. I think there's so much messaging too and, and stigma it's like people think you're either rich or you're poor, right? Like there's no real in between. And if they think you're poor, there's all these labels that come with that. And this mentality of, oh, you made bad decisions or yada, 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 whatever it is. And then I, I find myself being really uncomfortable. I'll, I'll share a recent experience. We built a house, right? In an older neighborhood and we love this neighborhood. Like we had a house, our previous house was in this neighborhood. We loved it. We needed a bigger home for our growing family and literal skies parted, heaven shone down. And there was a lot in our favorite neighborhood down the street from my son's school and they were building a house. And, you know, it's, it's an older community and a lot of this neighborhood and we've been deemed the rich house. 
And I understand why people are saying it. And also it makes me really uncomfortable because I think there's so many connotations that I have in my own like brain and self of what rich equals. And I think that for me, it equals like ease, right? Like somehow you just got all this money and inside I'm like, we worked really hard for that house and we are able to afford this house because of the neighborhood that we chose to live in. If we were to go one or two neighborhoods over, it would be completely and utterly out of our price range. We would never be able to afford this house in like Huntington Woods or Ferndale or Royal Oak. Like because of where we live, like we were able to purchase it. And because we bought a house at the right time four years ago and we're really good at making older homes look baller, we sold our house for a really high dollar amount, made a good amount of money off of it. And put that into this house. Like there were so many factors and sacrifices that went into it. And so I think too, those labels can be really dismissive of somebody's journey to where they're at, whether they're poor, middle-class, rich, whatever. Um, And so just to be really careful too, with how we talk about it. Yeah. Demonizing the rich, either you get demonized for having money, or like you said, you get like slapped, like, oh my God, she doesn't know how to handle her money or you know, they should really be better off. Like you get punished. So it's like, there's no, like you said, there's no middle ground of everybody's just trying their damn best. And with the skill set, skill set resources and tools that they have. Yeah. It's just so much judgment either way. Well, and that goes back to this whole piece of, you know, we choose the places that we live in. So if somebody lives in a small house, somebody automatically assumes they don't have enough money to live in a bigger house. When for some people, it is a choice. It is a choice where they live. I know for myself, I've talked about this before. We live in a condo that's about 3,000 square feet. It's huge. And people assume that, you know, I don't know what they assume, but they're like, why do you guys live in, you know, a condo? It's always like this, these questions that people ask, but there are so many reasons. We chose it because of the school district. We chose it because they take care of lawn care. They do all that. And at the time we were really busy. We got it. We moved in during the recession. Joel's parents built it. And then his dad lost his job and they had to move. So there were a lot of factors that played into that. And people just assume. And why we've stayed there so long is I love where we live. I love downtown Farmington and it is nearly impossible to find something in that area. But people assume if you drive a nice car or a brand new car, they think you're rich. If you don't, they think that you're not. And it's for me, I used to, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a new car. Now I'm like, I'm driving this Traverse because it is almost paid off until it can drive no more. Like I am not, I don't want to be car poor. I don't want to be house poor. I want to live my life. And it's a choice that I've made. And my husband, we talk about this. I, I want to spend my money on experiencing my life. I want to experience life. I don't want to just have things. I just don't. And they're not like having a new car really is that for me or is it to to say to people, I can afford this. Like I can have nice things. Is it, is that at the end of the day really about me or is it what I want other people to believe? So I think there's a lot of pieces to that too is, I don't know. I just think that there's, there's a lot of ways that you can look at it, but you know, I've, I've said this before. One of our top red posts is, um, I have a small house or 
they live in like a really small, it was, I can't remember like 1200 square feet and it was a choice and people just assume. So I love what you said about it's either you're poor or you're rich. There's no in between. Like we've lost that piece and the judgment that comes with that. And then people think they have to live outside their means and go into debt just to have flashy things. So people think that they're not poor. It's crazy. I love what you said too, because there's, there's so many layers behind spending, you know, when we were building the house, I'm just gonna be real vulnerable today. You know, there was, when we were looking for a house, I really wanted an ensuite bathroom. And my husband kept telling me I was really bougie because it's like, you don't need that. You know, a lot of our houses that we've owned didn't have that. And I, you know, I was like, why is this so important to me? Like, this is so weird. Like, why can't I walk a few steps to a bathroom? Like, why do I have to have it attached to my room and have that privacy? And I did my own work in therapy. Right. And I, um, have sexual assault in my, in my life, in my history. And for some reason, that's how safety has manifested for me. And it became this thing of privacy and comfort. And I was like, you know what, this is what I need in my home. Like if I'm going to build a dream home, like this is really important to me and here's why. And just understanding that there's so many reasons behind people's choices, you know, why they have the house they have or why they have the car they have. You know, another thing is my kids are, they have their own floor because I am recently diagnosed ADHD and I get really overwhelmed with noise. I get really overstimulated and I want my kids to have a lot of fun and play and be loud. And now they can, and I don't get frustrated anymore. And I'm really thankful that financially we were able to do that. But there are so many decisions and choices that were really intentional behind how, you know, or where we spent our money. So I just want to add that piece too. Oh, I love that you shared that because I don't think that's talked about enough is why we make the choices that we do. And just so many things that you just said in there is, is huge in itself that the fact even Brooke, you know, thank you for sharing with us why you chose, why you wanted the things that you do, or even why we choose not to do things. And I just, we don't give each other enough credit for making those decisions, right? For saying like, I actually don't want that. I want this and being okay with that because, you know, I can speak for my, why my house is so important to me, I think is one, a safety thing. And also when my parents were making bad decisions and we had to move, I was so embarrassed. And it was really this, I don't want my kids to be embarrassed if we make bad money choices. And I think that's why it's really important to me that we don't do that because I don't want my kids to be embarrassed. So I've had moments where I'm like, are they embarrassed that we live in a condo? But they don't think anything of it because our condo is still really nice. But I'm like, are they embarrassed of that? And I think for me, really, a lot of my things came from not so much anymore because I've done a lot of work on it. But before I felt like I had to keep up with everybody and I did make poor decisions or you know, I felt because I had a child young and couldn't give her all of those things. I had to do it now. And, you know, I feel like I should be further ahead or I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And I made choices to run my own business that directly impacted, obviously, the financial stability of our home when I first started and made poor decisions. Are my kids embarrassed about that? So it was more like that because I remember being embarrassed about those things. No, I'm just thinking a little bit from a different perspective on 
some of the thoughts around money and how different maybe Charmaine and I see how this looks versus Brooke and Elizabeth, because in the Black community, we already have so much pushback when it comes to financial help, right? So the redlining with with the housing. So we weren't able to get houses in certain areas. So that's probably why some folks were like, Brooke has the rich house in the neighborhood because I do sort of know your neighborhood. And they're like, the house don't belong in our neighborhood. (laughs) And that's probably where that thought came from because in the predominantly Black community, and there wasn't houses that were allowed in that area that looked like your house because it just wasn't allowed because of laws or or location or things like that. So I love your house. It's beautiful. Um, (laughs) And I love that you're raising your children in a diverse neighborhood. So that's awesome. But just thinking about already the negative that's sort of embedded into our brain being a person of color and and that extra that we sort of have on it in, in the financial status and the fact that the financial system is built against us in certain in certain areas when it comes to how we get a loan or, or policies or or things like that, which which is sometimes I think feeding into why it's a little bit harder to have that conversation. And I was just thinking about that aspect a little bit as we were talking, because what constitutes poor in some folks' mind, when you think about what, if you were to go up to someone and ask, what does a poor person look like? They're probably going to tell you that it's a person of color. Mm. I don't know if I would though, because of all of the images I saw, like the first image that comes Mm -hmm. to my mind is like a scraggly old, you know, Caucasian man with like, yeah, like Mm -hmm. a hobo, like hobos in the movies were not black Mm -hmm. people. They were Mm -hmm. like these little skinny white dudes that had these scruffy gray beards. So that would, that's the first thing that I think of is a hobo. So I think it's it's also kind of what media you were fed or what yes. stories you were fed about what poverty looks like. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, you know, as we talk about our kids and moving forward, again, I, I may overshare with my son that might be something else he has to go to therapy for, you know, <laughs> in his adult years. But I share our money struggles. This is why we're not doing this because I don't want to hide that. I don't want to give him this story about that's not true. And then he grows up and he's like, what the fuck? Like, this is not what happened. So it allows me to have these conversations with my kids. Like they sit down and they do, like they sit and look at the spending plan. I put things up so they can see how much was spent in certain areas. So when I tell you, it's not in the spending plan. I'm not making this shit up. This is not me going to the ATM machine. And just because it's not in the spending plan, it doesn't mean that we're broke. Because for a kid, when you go, okay, we're not doing this, it's not in the plan, it doesn't mean we don't have any money. It means that we're choosing to take our money and spend it on something else. Like, so it's teaching him about long term gains. But I think that's the bigger piece of it is that as you begin to unravel your own stories, I would invite you to bring your children into it like in the way that fits for them, because that's going to help to further break that paradigm. It's going to further help to bust out that mess that your family had so they can begin to create a different path. I would say that has been the most pivotal piece of it is teaching him along the way. I really like that. Instead of just 
will you buy me this? And I say, yes, maybe they should earn it. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need to work on that. I need to work on that. He earns it. I, I pay him a paycheck. I don't call it an allowance. I call it a paycheck. You do your job as a part of the team. And so when you do your job, like I get paid for what I provide for the team. Dad gets paid for what he provides for the team. You provide more service, you get more money. So if you all you do is your chores and you're pissed off about that, that is how you're going to get paid. <laughs> you're going to get paid as somebody that came in and did the bare minimum and then didn't even do a good job. I'm not going to give you a bonus. Why would I give you a bonus if you weren't joyful? So that has changed their attitudes because they're like, first of all, this is for the whole. It's not just something my mom is making me do. I do like not having ants and bugs in my house and having clean dishes, right? But then it also helps them to see that when they go out in the world to work, if you just go and do the bare minimum, that is what you will get in return. It's not saying you have to overextend yourself, but if you see you can step in and do something, and you know, step in, do that. It's appreciated. And so that's what I'm attempting to change. <laughs> that is what I I'm attempting it. to change. That's awesome. I think, Kanisha, I want to go back to this. You, I think we've had this conversation before, but I'm not someone that buys everything for my kids. If my kids ask, I'm like, no, like, what have you done to contribute to the household? What have you done to yeah. contribute to this family? My husband I and I are both very big on this. Like, it was getting to a point the minute we drive out of the driveway, like here in the last couple of weeks, can we go to the coffee shop? Can we do this? Can we do this? Everything is like everywhere we go, they want something. And I'm like, no. And the, here's the thing. I want to do nice things for them when they don't ask repetitively, right? And that's, I think, where the biggest struggle for me is is I will not, and people probably think I'm a raging bitch. I will not. I am not that mom that buys things for you to show my love. And so this is where my question for you comes in, Kanisha, is because you've said that I've heard you say that before is like you buy your kids a lot of stuff. And I, I don't want my kids to ever think that I'm just that one, because I remember this too, right? This is a money story. My dad would be like, what do you think, Elizabeth? Money grows on trees. What do you think's going on over there, Elizabeth? You think he's out? You going to go pick that money off that tree out there, Elizabeth? And I'm just like, geez, oh gosh. So I, and I don't want that to be my story that I tell my kids. And also you are part of this house. I work my ass off every single day. Your dad works his butt off. Just because I chose to have children does not mean that I have to freely give to them every single time that they ask me. And then it means that if I don't, I do not love them. If I don't, we're poor. If I don't, X, Y, and Z. And I think there are a lot of things that go into that. I used to give my 20, my 23 year old, I probably, I've, I've certainly screwed her up because I gave her a lot because I felt that I had to, to make up for the fact that I was a teen mom to make up for the fact that we ate ramen noodles for many, many days in a row when I had no money, that I had to make up for the fact that I didn't always have the ability to go buy her new clothes. And so how I showed my love or showed her like, oh, we're not in that situation anymore was, I'm just going to buy her everything. Oh yeah, you want Lululemon? Awesome. You know, it just, there's just so many key components to this. And I think I see it a lot. Like I have friends anything their kids ask for, they buy them. But then they are the first to tell me they have no money. And I'm like, wait a sec, wait a sec. You don't have any money 
and obviously this is a conversation I have with myself because can you imagine how that would go with a friend? But I do ask that question like to myself, you complain that you don't have money, but you literally, your kids. And here's the thing too, that I struggle with. We buy our kids this stuff and they have no respect for the things that we buy them because we so freely buy them for them. I'm really passionate about this. Yeah. Can I push back a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So here's where I struggle with this whole parenting model because I think we we go into parenthood wanting to kind of fill those deficits that we felt in our own childhood. But then we get really pissed that our kids don't appreciate it. And it's like, I don't, I don't think you're sending the message that you want to send them. Right. So if your thing was, you didn't have a lot as a child and like, <laughs> Kenesha, just to use your example, cause you brought it up. I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. But no, no, that's exactly, um, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. The therapist in me is like, mm-hmm. Kenesha is actually reparenting herself and like healing a childhood wound. So like, just to take that away that's not actually healthy for their family dynamics. So can we like reframe some of these things where your children don't just expect, right? They don't think Mm -hmm. that money just flows and they can have whatever they want all the time, but can you still like be that mom to yourself and in turn to them that that does get them things because it, everyone feels good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I just think we have to be really careful about making it super black and white because there is, like we said earlier, there is so many reasons. Like it's so much deeper than that. And we can't get mad at kids for not understanding that, you know, you've got more than other people. If we're not really doing the work and sharing that with them and exposing them to other ways that people are living and having those conversations and also talking about how we grew up and being open and honest about that too. So it's layered is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I will say that my kids do not know anything about my upbringing. They've never met my mother. My oldest son was a baby when I caught off contact. And um, when they ask, I just don't say anything. So we just avoid the conversation altogether. So it is something that eventually will have to, a conversation that'll have to happen. They know about my paternal side and finding them, but they know nothing about what I went through. Yeah. I mean, but even just saying like when you bring home a toy, like I didn't really have this. This wasn't a moment that I had growing up. And so this is why it makes me happy when I give this to you, because it really is more about you than it is about them. And I think a lot of our choices and how we spend money on our kids, it it really goes back to us, you know? So I I get where you're coming from, Elizabeth, and I know why you're passionate. And, (laughs) and that's my, that's my phrase. And, (laughs) and. Here's the thing, Brooke, I do want to say something to that too. And it's not, I didn't grow, I grew up, my parents just gave us everything and I didn't respect it. And so I think there's, there's a lot, and this is what is works in my family and what I noticed too. And I guess where I have an issue is if we're going to complain about not having enough money, why would we just freely give our kids things? I think that's the part that I get so caught up on that I can't wrap my head around. We have no money to do anything for ourselves or do any of these other things or pay our bills, but we'll buy a toy for our children or we'll do these things. Like that's the part that's really hard for me because I was that version. I was that person before. And so I think really trying to wrap my head around that is really, really impossible sometimes. 
And I, and I know that it's not always black and white. Yeah. That's the belief system though. Kind of like what Brooke is talking about. Like, you know, when you have this thing of what you didn't, I think we're all in some way, shape or form trying to reparent ourselves from what our inner child and what we now feel like was missing from our childhood and how we were parented. So there's always something. And it's so funny because if you don't change the whole paradigm, you just end up redoing the same shit again that your parents did, but just in a different form. Anywho, but that same thing about spending money on your kids and then saying, then not, then complaining about not having the money. I don't know. Like, I don't know if that complaint is really, um, I don't know how to say it, but I don't think that's the real complaint. Yeah. Like, that just seems like the surface. That doesn't feel like the real complaint yep. that they don't have the money. Yep. But my immediate thought was, okay, there's, there's some people pleasing tendencies. Like why? Like where's yeah. that deficit in that relationship that you feel you, you have to fill that void with a thing? You know, do you not feel present as a mom? So you try to make up for that with gifts or toys. Like there's so many layers that it's not the money. It's not the logical, here's what we have and here are our bills and here's how we spend. There is so much behind it. Yeah. It's like so like money is like we would have to come back to this because the layers of it are so deep, so much deeper than money that when people say, you know, they spend all this money on their kids and they go, then they complain about money. They're not really complaining about the money. They're complaining about either they can't say no to their kids or the people pleasing tendencies that they have going on. But it's the money is the surface of what's really got them egged. It's not really the it's not really the issue. Yeah, no. And I agree with that. And that's the thing is like, I knew what my root was with yeah. my oldest, right? I knew what I was trying to make up for. I knew where, why I was doing it. And that's just the thing. And I'm not shaming women. And this is the thing. I'm not, if, if you right. are this woman, you know, like Kanisha, we've had this conversation. I'm not shaming you. I'm saying, you oh, know, I know you're women. not. Yeah, well, I know. But like, there are women that are like, bitch, that's me. Um, And yeah. it's not... <laughs> it's not that what I hope that you guys get from this as you're listening, because I know this isn't, this is just the first part of this is the next part really is like from here. We hope, I hope that you can identify where you fall and the emotions that surround money yeah. and where you are with money. Because I do think it's important. Like I still, you know, as an entrepreneur, the beautiful part is like, if there's money to be made, I'm going to make it. That is my mindset. Whereas my husband has worked in a corporate job for so long that he has a cap. And so the scarcity yeah. mindset does set in for him. Whereas for me, I'm like, all right, I got to come up with this money. All right, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to, you know, sell this or do this. Like I can come up with it. And also I still fall into trap. Like I take my son to get, it's not even coffee. He gets like this specialty drink. Or if we're at the store, like I fall into the trap of buying bubble gum or silly things like that. And it's more I want them to know that I love them. And also I want them to understand money. I want to teach them those things. And I also understand kids don't have their frontal lobes developed. So the things that I understand and want them to understand, yep. they're not going to understand. So I'm really aware of that, that we have to have those constant conversations with them. And really, like you said, Charmaine, is having that conversation with your children about money. I want my children to know that we work hard for our money. I want them to know that, you know, like my husband has, he works out of this app called YNAB. So I'll tell the kids, like I have 
X amount of dollars in here to spend on an activity. Like, what do you guys want to do this week? Or like really helping them understand money or if they do chores. And I love what you said about if they're doing the bare minimum, like that's what you're going to get. And I think, yeah, there has to be. And I think this is where we also get to do the work on that piece too, is when we feel like we're being hard asses about it too, like taking a step back and really asking that question, like, why am I actually have such a problem (laughs) with buying extra things for my kids or doing extra things? So I think, you know, that's a whole nother piece as well. So I think that that's the thing here. It's so much deeper than having enough money or not having enough money, like where it stems from, how we got there, the emotions that we have that surround money. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to push back on you again and say, you know, you, you talked about falling into the trap of buying bubble gum or whatever, when you're out, ask your kids what they think about money and what their views on money are. Because for you, maybe you're like, Oh, why do I keep doing this? It's such a frivolous purchase, but maybe that's like a core memory for one of your kids. Like when I go out with mom, like she gets me bubble gum or a snack or, you know, and it, it, it's a bonding thing. It's a connection. It's a memory for them. They're not viewing it as we've just got all this money. I get whatever I want. And I oftentimes as parents, we project our own stuff onto our kids. So I would just encourage conversations, more conversations and really like ask open-ended questions to your kids, your spouse, like your friends, you know, and, and figure out where their head's at when it comes to money. I actually love that because I actually wouldn't have thought about that if that is a core memory for them. I think it's this idea of like, for me, that they continuously ask for something every time we go somewhere, every single place we go, it's like, can I have this? Can I have that? And I think that's the hard part. I'm like, oh my gosh, no. And then I feel like I'm saying no all the time, you know, no all the time, but I do say yes a lot more to things, you know, experiences or us going out and doing things or different stuff like that. So I hear you. And that's the thing, right? Is I know it's so much deeper. Like there, it, the money, the money thing is so much deeper, even to maybe why I feel the way that I do, or, you know, just different things like that. I'm, I'm assuming that it's just something that we have to work through in general. And I appreciate that. And I think that's why this is so great, right? We all have different stories and how we feel about certain things. But now I'm going to ask my kids because I've never asked them, like we talk about money, but we've never said, what does money mean to you? You know, I don't know about anyone else. I don't know if Charmaine or Kanisha has, Brooke, I'm assuming you have if you're sharing that with me, but, you know, having that conversation about money in general with them, just having the conversation and asking them what money means to them. Is that what you mean? Just having that piece, just saying flat out, like, let's have the conversation about money. What does it mean to you? Okay. So when you're out and your child is asking for things, right? We look at that as a negative, but if you get curious, you'll see where their thinking comes from. So my oldest will be like, Oh, can I have this toy? And one day, you know, I just was like, how do you think we pay for things? He's like, you go to the bank and you get money out. I was like, okay. That gave me insight. Like that showed what kind of conversation I needed to have, but I'm not going to fault him for thinking that or asking if he can have something. If he just has this, you know, nebulous idea that money just comes from this building and whenever you want it, you just go to it and get it. Well, of course he's going to ask for things then. So really just finding out where they're at and how they view things. But when you have that conversation, so like our oldest, our 11-year-old, we've had that conversation and it still is this continuous cycle or even my son, Marin, not so much, but 
the older two having that conversation and they know we're money that we work hard for money and it just doesn't grow on trees or we're not doing this. Like then at what point, what's that next step, right? Then I would stop having a conversation and I would create a system like Charmaine said, you know, give them a paycheck and let them see, okay, I have this amount and the toy or the thing that I want costs this. Do I have enough? Right. Or, you know, if I only get $20 for the whole week, like they're, they have to have experience with it. Like you're asking them to understand something that they have no frame of reference for. Well, they do. So they get $15. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let me give you a good example. So my son gets $50 every two weeks, right? Mm. And he's supposed to be saving his money for a particular thing. He spends it. Well, in the beginning, he would spend it without fail on buying either new for a switch like downloading games or buying new PlayStation games. And so it would get to the second week and this brother would be busted broke. I'm like, I'm going to Starbucks. And he's like, oh, are you buying me a coffee? I says, well, no, you get paid $50. Like we give you food and everything else. Like that's supposed to be for your treats and your extra things that you want to buy. So I'm not buying you a Starbucks. You need to start saving and budgeting Starbucks money because he gave me pushback on budgeting. He was like, I don't need to budget, blah, blah, blah. So after about three times of him having his paycheck and then realizing that he was just like just blowing it, he says, mom, can you show me how to budget? Because I want to make sure that when you walk to Starbucks that I can go too. And so now he's becoming more intentional, but by choice, I had to, it was so hard because it's like, okay, I can just like buy him a Starbucks. I get extra, but it's like, I'm, I'm attempting to show him what happens when you just spend your money and you blow it, but you wanted to do other stuff with it. Like you have to, and I said, well, what do you really want to do? Do you really want the games? Or like you said, Brooke, you start asking these open-ended questions like, okay, well, what is your goal with it? Not here's my spending plan and this is how you should do it. But let's really think about like, you want to do Starbucks every week? Okay, well, let's look at how much that'll cost. And you looking at each week, what a Starbucks would cost you. So now he does that, but it took him like blowing through his paycheck and having PlayStation games, but, you know, everybody around the house has their Starbucks cup and he's like looking, you know, drinking his cup of water, just looking. <laughs> no, I think there's like, and and that's the thing. This is just, I think the beginning of this conversation. And I think I've been through all phases of it and just really even learning how to teach our children about it or what's the best way. So I love hearing how other people are doing it. You know, the the question about being curious, Brooke, I love that. Or Charmaine, how you, you know, give money. And I think maybe the fact that we give money, you know, my husband's tried budgeting, but it, they just don't, they're still little too, right? So he's tried like showing them how to, you know, manage your money and different things like that. And so I'm aware of that. And also I still am like, God, I just don't want them to continuously be asking for things and also realizing like they're little. That's my husband, our constant fight is I'm like, Hey, they're little, like they don't know the frontal lobes are not developed. Like they don't think like we do. And so I think that I do live in that space a lot. And then sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, if you ask me for skincare one more time, we just bought all this stuff last week and now you want more. It's like, you know, that, that piece right there. So, you know, here's the beginning of this conversation because there are so many emotional components to it or reasons why we do things. And I feel like, again, I've been through so many stages of 
this journey with money. And really, I'm still learning. I think it's like an inevitable thing. I think we will learn for the rest of our lives what we think is good, what we don't think is good, what works for us, what doesn't, what works for one family might not work for another. And so I think that that's where we can just get really curious and ask those questions to each other, right? Ask those questions and start having more conversations about money and asking people. And I think that's really where it starts is how can we have those conversations and also receive what other people have to say about the conversation about money and choose to do what we want with that. And and you don't have to listen to everything that's said, just hopefully something resonates with you and you can take one little tidbit away. And like I said, this is just the start of this conversation. So thank you guys so much for being here for another great episode. Don't forget to rate and review so more moms can listen and have these conversations and jump into our DMs so we can talk about this. And what do you want to hear more about when it comes to money? What are struggles that you face with money or you know, constantly giving to your children or the emotional aspect of money for you? Let's hear from you. We love hearing from you because it also gives us a place to have that conversation and hear your input. Maybe it's an episode we ask you to come on because you can speak from that experience and so can so many other women. So again, thank you so much. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.